0: And we're back. Goddamn time. Really? Seriously? Yeah, I think the drugs are kicking in. Probably good because I'm topless. That's what all podcasts need.
1: God, we are...
0: Bad Philosophy,
1: episode 82, recorded on January 17th, 2011. Saunders on Saunders. Hello everybody. welcome man one to bad philosophy episode 82 we're uh, upsetting the balance of reality in a little bit of a different way this time uh, for, for one thing uh, I'm gonna apologize up front for the audio quality this was uh, sort of an impromptu episode and uh, it's just me and Kevin today I, I'm actually sitting in a uh, in a Panera bread in in Austin <laughs> on my MacBook air I have I have nothing hey, other at than- least it's not a,
0: a, a Starbucks. Well,
1: it's it's actually the Panera Bread's Wi-Fi um that I'm using and it and I don't know if it's going to be as as useful as Starbucks or not, but we will uh we will definitely find out. Um I'm on nothing other than my MacBook Air right now. I don't have my headphones. I don't have the regular microphone set up, so what you're hearing is is just what Bad. I can do with my Air. <laughs> So hopefully it won't be too atrocious. Um, Kevin, thanks for joining me today. I, I've been I've been jonesing to to talk about this article for a long time, and uh, I'm glad you were able yes, you to have. to read it. What did you just happen to get some free time this afternoon? What, what's the
0: deal? Um, well, it's it's the holiday, and so I'm kind of taking a holiday. Oh, okay. That's, so you actually it, got it off for Martin Luther okay. King. Yeah, it is Martin Luther King Day, and we have it off, and okay. so I'm I'm sort of doing my part and making it. Well, you know, good. <laughs> you're, you're doing. We're, we're doing our. our I'm celebrating to what you know. little progress we've made in civil rights issues.
1: by, by talking about uh, a potential gross violation of them in the future.
0: <laughs> sure, we could call it that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, so in 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 that really roundabout way, dude, that's that's almost a better segue than I I usually make. Um, I wasn't even trying. <laughs> I'm speaking, of course, of uh, Escape from Spiderhead. It's uh, an article that appeared in The New Yorker in uh, December, December 20th. It was written by uh, George Saunders. Uh, I, I was not familiar with, with any of his work beforehand. Kevin, had, had you heard of him before?
0: Never heard of him. Okay. But I'm also not the kind of person who reads anybody who's ever been published in The New Yorker.
1: Okay. Much less someone with your your last name as well. <laughs>
0: I mean, and just—I mean, I—I I might go looking for more of his stuff now, having read this and it was, because it was kind of interesting. But the New Yorker really isn't my kind of of magazine, mm-hmm. mainly because I'm not quite pretentious enough or rich enough to really enjoy it.
1: I—I <laughs> uh, I feel you there, and I—I um, <laughs> I have to say. <sighs> It, it was not. It was not something I, I usually don't read. The New Yorker either. I, I I just happened to find it via io9. It's a short story, and I'm just going to say up right up front, we're not really going to summarize it. We're just going to assume that you've read it. So if you haven't yet, uh, pause the episode. Pause now. Go, go to badphilosophy.com/blog, and uh, go to the latest the latest episode or, or episode 82, and pull up the the link for the article and read it. It's a. Uh, it's about a whoa. What would you say about it? Three, four thousand word.
0: Yeah, hey, it took me twenty minutes to read.
1: Yeah, about twenty minutes. That that's, that sounds about right. Um, I had to go back over some pieces, so it took me about half an hour. Um, pretty light read. Uh, not not anything super complicated, uh, but a, a definitely a mind bending story when you start to get into it. So go do that reading. Hey, welcome back. So now that you've read Escape from Spiderhead, good to- <laughs> done. Oh, you job. let to come back. <laughs> welcome back. And now we're going to talk about it. So the, the story, I, I don't really even know where to start. I, I guess kind of on a superficial basis, when, when I first read through it, certainly what io9 highlighted was the the sex part of it. Uh, and In fact, on. the only thing it really talked about <coughs> was... you Sorry. <laughs> I, I
0: tried to warn you, but I was not successful.
1: <laughs> no, you weren't. Um... <clears throat> So uh, overtly, the the thing that that I think drew everyone in, you know, the uh, the money headline was uh, futuristic sex with drugs type of a thing. Uh, but really, the the story is not about that. It's it's more about. Well, I don't even know, Kevin. I, I can think of like six I things that it's about. It's we can talk about, about them all, but
0: hmm. If I were, if I were to pick something, it was about. I would say it's about your brain. Okay. Um, that's that's the the direction I took away from it. I actually found the, little, the sex to be a little unnecessary, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and I didn't, I came to it through you, even though I read io9, I skip a lot of their stuff. Uh, and so I never read, I never saw this before you sent it to me. And had it been sold to me the way io9 does it, which is the uh, this is the actual headline, I just pulled it up. George Saunders' horrifying tale of sex, drugs, and manufactured eloquence in The New Yorker. Um, which is not what I would have called it. No, I really, call it horrifying. There are, there is sex, drugs, and manufactured eloquence, but that's that's framing it in a way that I wouldn't.
1: Yeah, uh, I. So I really want to talk first off about. I guess we can go superficial, and then we can get and kind of go deeper into it. Okay. The, the the sex part of it was was sort of a. Um, a way for him to, to introduce this, this concept of manufactured uh, emotion, of, of the, the ability to hyper-control human perception, and, and really, in, in this case, human thought and feeling. Uh, because the, the protagonist at Amnesty, I think the, the overt point of the experiments that he goes through is to, to show that emotions are completely controllable by this, this drug. Uh, you know, in yes. this world, there's the Moby pack, you get, you get a drip of a certain chemical and they have, I love the, I love the names he comes up with them, you know, things like. Yeah, there's some
0: pretty creative names. And and and, he,
1: and, he, and they're all, uh, with a little trademark, Verbaloose. Yes. And, uh, oh. uh, what are, what are some other ones? Vera, Verilax or. I. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Dark and Phlox. Dark and Phlox factors in very heavily. Um.
0: But it, you know, each is, one is, is sort one of used the most.
1: Yeah, and and each one is sort of a button for uh, a specific emotion or set of emotions. Which actually, mm-hmm. I, I mean, this is not not at all the first time that this concept has come up in, in a science fiction story. Um, no. one of the one of the little highlighted aspects of uh, *Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?* Was the uh, emotion control. Uh, things that they had, I forget what they were called, but it was called dialing. Like you would, you would dial a certain emotion.
0: Do you remember that from the book? The one you wanted, I, I've never actually read. Do read *Dream of White oh. Sheep*? Um, Philip K. Dick is interesting if we're going to rabbit trail for a sec. Sure. In that, I like his short stories sometimes, and hmm. I've never gotten to that one, but I'll, I'll pick up a book of them occasionally at the library. And about half of them I really like, and the other half I. Th- I I get fed up with. (laughs) And it's really interesting, particularly because Philip K. Dick is one of the most adapted science fiction authors of all time. Yeah, Um, So many major sci-fi films have come from, albeit very loosely, Philip K. Dick stories. Um, Off the top of my head, I know Paycheck, I know Minority Report, I know Total Recall... Um, of course, Blade Runner from Do Union for Like Sheep. Yeah, and those are the ones I, I'm just thinking of without thinking about it. Uh, there's a new one coming out called The Adjustment Bureau. Uh, there's lots of them.
1: Yeah. And, and so it, it's, um, it may have been that George Saunders, in, in a way this is George Saunders taking that one little aspect that, that Phil K. Dick just sort of touched on and really mm-hmm. fleshing it out to its... Um, to its full extent and I mean this this is a short story it's not like you could write a a whole series of books in this universe where you know drugs can precisely control uh, emotions but I think it's it's interesting as a short story um certainly the way that Saunders presents it so I I like yeah I like that um it's a fairly accessible concept I mean we we are already familiar with uh with mind-altering substances um you know, of course, we've talked on the show before about uh, psychotropic drugs of uh, various kinds and the the effects yeah. they can have on the mind. But you know, just things as simple as um, as you know taking a, a pill to get rid of a headache or uh, you know being able to alter your mood through uh, Valium. Uh, you know, we're already familiar with with pills that change how we think. Uh, this in this world, you know, the Moby Pack is sort of a, a way of quickly. Releasing those uh, substances via a like embedded spinal uh, unit. So, so one of the the primary uh, themes is this this repetition of them asking uh, to administer the drugs, and they say, you know, drip on, drip on. Uh, the the subject, even though they don't have too much freedom, still has to acknowledge that uh, that they would like to be altered in some way. Yeah. Sort of um, you know later in the later in the story they have to kind of get around that you know they get an override to, to do it to the guy anyway which sort of to me the, it shows that 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 in this this system the the ethics of uh, administering these drugs is tenuous at best you know?
0: well you know uh, if, you know the, it's it's strongly implied and I mean that he the, this is the better option over jail, sure. Or at least it's viewed as being that. And you know that everyone who's participating in the process is a is an inmate, or or you know has done something very very illegal and did not get away with it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And and that brings up something that is really interesting because we've it, it it's not even really addressed, and it's almost kind of much like the dialing in was a side note in Andrew's dream of like her sheep. The the treatment and medical testing of prisoners here is almost the side note to the story.
1: Um, I wouldn't say so. I mean, it's I uh, it, it's it, it, overtly it's what the story is about. I, I mean, granted, the title is "Escape from Spiderhead." It's kind of how this guy escapes from this world. But I, I think the most interesting ethical issues raised by uh, by the story come from the the idea of being able to precisely. Uh, control emotions through uh, chemicals. It, it it raises the question: uh, What what are emotions fundamentally? Are they just combinations of chemicals in our brain that that cause us to uh, perceive a certain way? Uh, I, I never took a phenomenology course, and I'm really sorry I didn't. But that's the essence of phenomenology: is is feelings and perceptions, and and uh, how we how we perceive reality is it becomes. Re- reality to us. So yes. in these in these three instances that all the subjects go through, they're exposed to the the, to the drug that uh, I forget the name of it. Do you know off the top of your head, Kevin?
0: Um, the love potion, the, basically. The sexy drug. Yeah. <laughs> it does It never has an official name. It's it's got the experimental name. Of oh yeah. Ed five five six, I think. Uh huh. E- e- or well, ed or- two eighty nine
1: two ninety. So yeah, so this okay, drug, yeah. we'll call it the love potion. Uh, you know yes. binds binds uh, Abnesti to these these three different women in mm. as genuine and intense a way as what many refer to as true love, and so for those few hours that they 're together, they are in in every way, shape, and form uh, in love with each other, and then the drugs wear but off but and you... they
0: 're not but what I think is interesting is that in the second one, the, the was it Heather was the second person he was put with? Yeah, I Ashley thought Heather, Heather was the first. Okay, Heather was the first. Who was the other one? Rachel. Rachel. Yeah. Rachel's the other one. With Rachel, um, I, don't, I don't have an exact quote here, but I, I got a feeling that when he was going through it again, that because he was self-aware of it, it wasn't quite the same experience. Um, Physically, he reacted the same but he, he also, there was a small part of him that was stepping back. And he, it was something about how he wondered if she would know what it was like. And that's sort of what led him to asking the questions Yeah, that, that sort of he begins asking.
1: But I think uh, the, the kind of the point was that, at least in this universe, even that knowledge that he had been in love didn't affect him Outside of the experience, or even in the experience, when when he was put uh, in front of uh, the the subject and, and told that they would be given this this darkened flocks um, mm-hmm. if, if he didn't um, if he showed any sort of uh, love or emotion, yeah, you know, to, to see if he would show any sort of affection or preference for one or the other, he had none. I mean, he really like he was yeah. back to baseline in every so- single way, and uh-huh. and yet. The the reason he didn't want either of them to be uh, Darkinflux, I think, was not out of love, but just out of sort of a general regard for humanity. Period. He didn't. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't wish it on anybody. Right. That was. That's kind of what yeah, he no, said. Yeah. No. And,
0: and, and, and I think that's true. But I was. I'm trying to find. Um, yeah, I'm trying to find the exact quote. Ah. Um, uh, it it becomes there, there's something about the emotions um, that, that are created with, with through these drugs uh-huh. that I read as very that I read as mechanical. Yes, well that, that's kind of the point, and right? That the the, the well yeah, it is, but and and I I wonder if and I, I don't know George Saunders, I can't talk to his his um, feelings on that, but I wonder if that's different than. Actual emotion, which is sort of what is achieved towards the end, is this sort of idea of real emotion. Well, because yeah, he,
1: yeah that's that's the thing is is it, uh, you know, are these are these experiences that he's having are they real or faked emotions? And and for all intents and purposes, they are real. If the, if you know uh, same same input, same output, he's experiencing the same thing on these drugs as he would experience were he having the actual emotion.
0: Well, see that's never tested though. What's tested is is he having the same experience repeatedly. Mm. He and and he's describing it as if he were actually in love, but there's not a the, the control group of what it's like for him to actually be in absolute total love doesn't exist. Yeah, at least that we're not shown it as as a, as a reader as an audience member. Well, we're, we're, we don't we're know assuming
1: it that. we're assuming he has that experience though that he knows he knows what that feels like and has has something to compare these experiences to. I'm not
0: assuming that though. I'm I'm given. No, no indication of that. It seems like he's been in prison for a very long time. It seems like he got into a, a fight, like in college or something, at a, yeah. at a relatively young age, that eventually sent him to prison. And his whole joke about you know doing the same thing for the next million years indicates that this is all of his life as far as he he perceives it. Yeah. And now he he describes the situation as being in love, and and they give him the you know the fancy talk drugs and so we can describe it very loquaciously but i don't know and and particularly in in how similar the two reactions were um in between uh, rachel and heather am i getting those names right i'm probably not yeah but it was it was you know he made love three times you saw the same series of images the valley the house the you know all of these sorts of things it was it was creating an identical which is, a, say, a very scientific creation of love. So, and, and
1: if I can sort of well, like a, can, a replicated, you know, piece of replicated food, right? Uh, you know, synth- yes. synthahol. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It tastes
0: like alcohol. is d- isn't it works alcohol. like alcohol. Yeah. But is is different enough in that? I mean, I, I'm I'm going to wax a little loquacious, but not loquacious. Poetic, maybe. <laughs> We're gonna get a little into a little bit of personal area here, but um, I have been in love. I'm okay with saying that, and I'm, I'm okay with saying that I am currently in love. Okay. I don't talk about my uh, opinions a lot, particularly, or my my emotions a lot, particularly because my mother listens to this show. Hi, mom. But I mean, it 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 is. I I am in love, and and there are certainly moments, you know, where it's this massive emotional. You know, insane sort of thing, but it's flexible. It changes. It's mutable, whereas the emotion created in this thing—and I think it's—it's true—we don't really see the other emotions as much. We see, um, you know, the the truth serum, if we'll call it that, and the, yeah. the dark lux, whatever that makes you feel terrible. But there are these very digital on-off sort of emotions in mm-hmm. that they're very fixed, they're very rigid and, well just saying nothing to the idea of, of chemically creating emotions because I think there's actually some possibility there creating emotions chemically to the point that the experience and reception of those is identical every time reads to me as being a false emotion hmm <laughs>
1: I, and, oh. and see that that could be part of George Saunders' point in the story is saying like, look, you know, we obviously we don't want this. We we don't want, uh, we don't want the ability to just turn on a certain emotion and, and have it have it be just a, like a generic feeling across the board. You don't, you don't want yeah. you don't want everyone everywhere to be experiencing the same type of mediocre love. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, well, I don't the, even know if it's mediocre uh, love. It sounds well, pretty amazing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Granted, <laughs> but uh, you know, he's given a high dosage of it, and uh, you know, it's, the, it's the discussion of the use of the of this drug, of this love potion in, in the uh, in the story, is to act as as almost like a uh, as an antidepressant. Uh, would mm-hmm. be would be administered today. It's it's you know we're giving it to people who aren't able to experience this emotion for some reason uh, are you know h- hindered in a certain way for a certain reason. Yeah. And and ne- not necessarily to everyone everywhere who wants to experience the feeling. Yeah. It's only for the people who who can't experience it naturally that this is a worthy substitute. I agree. So
2: you know he
1: and and he escapes you know from from the situation because of a an ethical dilemma you know he does he does not want to he does not want to uh harm anyone uh by his you know because he even though he's not doing direct harm he is involved in the causal chain and and that's <laughs> that's one of those it's one of these uh uh, almost trolley scenarios where you know you know, you're not, it
0: it's a brain in a jar controlling the clone of hitler's baby
1: yeah on
0: the tracks
1: um so it's it's hard to establish whether or not uh abnesty would be directly responsible for the for the pain caused to heather or rachel in these scenarios but one way or another he feels like he would be and so he he tries to solve the problem by you know running away from the scenario or rather Inflicting the the drug upon himself. <laughs> yes. Um, and that, you know, causes a bunch of chaos. He, he the, I love the way that the uh, that his downfall is described. Like, next thing you knew, his arm was a mile down the trash chute. Yeah. And it's just sort of this this it, the way the way that Saunders writes you you sort of feel that um, everything becomes a blur of of mm-hmm. pain and chaos, and then eventually he's in this. He's outside somehow, and uh, and he and he chooses just, to let go. Uh, you know, I, it,
0: I think might be a hallucination. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, there's it, and the the thing is is that the the last few paragraphs or so are are written slightly differently, maybe. Yeah. Um. Of course, the the paragraphs in which
1: he's he's on verbalus are admitted, well, yes, are you know objectively like more, <laughs>
0: more. Which foreign. is a, a wonderful stylistic choice. Yeah, that you you know you can you feel like he's gained an ability to speak better.
1: Oh yeah, it's an excellent first person narrative.
0: Uh
2: huh. Um.
0: Yeah the, the the ending actually it's um, interesting enough. Did you ever read the novel The Giver, the young adult novel? No. Uh, it's a good book um, it's it, it, the ending of that and I'll try and keep spoilers to a minimum because you really should read it it's a young adult novel it'll take you an afternoon or two uh, the ending of this reminded me a lot of the ending to The Giver um, well describe that it
1: for those who have read it
0: um, well in in that the, the, the main character and I'm almost positive The givers in a first person perspective although it may not be um the, it, it deals with escape in a very similar way. Um, there's not so much a choice um, to, to like dose himself, and whereas it's made pretty clear that he's trying to kill himself to es- or to escape, and he's, he thinks that by giving him enough darkened flocks that that will kill him and then he won't have to deal with the situation anymore. Um, the, the protagonist in The Giver is also trying to escape uh, the situation he is in, Okay. and gets towards this very poetic sort of thing. And, and again, is just there's just a hint of ambiguity at the end of The Giver.
1: Uh, About whether for, the character actually dies or not?
0: Yes. Uh, and, and I think in the case of The Giver, part of that was because it's a, a book for young adults and having a protagonist die at the end might have been seen as something that you just don't do. Right um although apparently the character shows up on another book by the same author, although I've not read it so I can't speak to that experience uh, I've only read the Giver
1: Well I, I wanted to take a moment to, to talk about the um, about the ethical uh, view that that Saunders is sort of presenting here. It feels like he's he's a deontologist arguing against consequentialism because the the world of this of this uh, drug, of these drug trials is very much one of uh, look at all the g- the good that will come about from this. Uh, you know we're doing we're doing yeah. harm here to people obviously, but you know it's in the name of science and we're going to help so many people because this drug is going to allow uh, people to experience emotions that they've never been able to before. And uh, yay! But yeah, Abnesty fights back against that from this gut feeling of no, you know all all human life is sacred. Maybe or or important or it's it's not right to harm people. He's sort of you yeah. know it's a basic harm principle type of a thing. Uh, do no harm, and mm-hmm. and so because on that on that principle, then he he fi- he uh, fights back and, and escapes from the from the prison. You know, I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sort of a consequentialist in myself, and I think this is a if that's really what Saunders is trying to do here. It's kind of a simplistic. Argument that he's making, um, or it's not terribly well fleshed out. But I, I don't think even even Saunders realizes what
0: he. <laughs> the- well, it's a fairly simplistic world that we're given. Yeah, um, which which is why I think, um, which is why I kind of like your you know trolley car situation it's an, um, example, in that it's it's got it it's a, a set of premises that's relatively straightforward and while there may not be one clear answer from it there's no ambiguity on the premises right we know we're given all of the facts laid out um, and maybe left to draw our own conclusion and to decide what we think should have been done and you know should it help people should it not but without the the scientist is a scientist he does the science and, you know, that's his side of the thing.
1: But of course, Ebnesty isn't a scientist. He's a guinea pig. <laughs> he's
0: Which is a glorified. Because he's the, he's the agent of change. Yeah. And so he is, he is the stand in for the you. You know, what would you do in this situation? Would you further science for the betterment of mankind and for, you know, making dictators make out on TV? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which I, I actually did kind of that that struck me as funny like that that would actually oh, be yeah we all got the mental kind, of kind of
0: you you chuckle
1: yeah, yeah. so and let's uh let's let's go let's actually answer that question then then Kevin I, so i've sort of come down on one side of this what what do you what's your answer wait what what was your side again tell me out. um i'm i actually as, as bad as he portrays it i would be in mm-hmm. favor of uh, these sort of kind of targeted mind altering substances because i think i think drugs in insofar as they are technology, are just as legitimate a, an extension of uh, human ability as anything else, as as computers, as as you know, medical advances. If we're if we're able to uh, improve the body in ways uh, that are that are scientifically testable, we should be able to improve the mind as well. they've um, been
0: Maybe in a theoretical sense, I would agree, but. I, I think, and this is something just because of the simplistic nature of this world in the story, doesn't really match up with our world. You give, no, true. Uh, you give the same scientifically tested, you know, clinically proven, so to speak, mind-altering drug, antidepressant or marijuana, pick your choice, <laughs> to different people. And you're going to get different reactions.
1: Yeah, and so, and, and obviously, in this in this scenario, there would be an additional level of, of verifying that the same drug does the same thing for different people, or that you can create variations to produce the same effect in different people. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's just that's just good science.
0: It is, but but even given that, but with with relatively simple things that are going to. I, I don't think there is a magic bullet for the brain, if, the, if that makes sense. Okay.
1: Well, then that, that's and, sort of dodging it, the question, though.
0: <laughs> it, okay. <laughs> well, I, I'll start by dodging it and maybe come back and get hit on the way around.
1: So here's – well, and, and by dodging that, I mean – so the question is, assuming that these that we someday do develop this technology – should it be used, in your opinion? Now you're kind of taking the practicalist
0: uh, dodge, which is
2: well, yeah, okay, you know, well, I'll answer this the question. Can, this is I'll an impossible
1: world, yeah. <laughs>
0: so I don't. In 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 this given scenario, mm-hmm. in this trolley car Hitler baby scenario, I think that the idea is good, and the implementation that we see here is bad. I- explain. Um, in that the the way to test this, okay, it might be yes, this can produce beneficial results all around, but that we have to literally kill somebody more than one more than one person to test it, where wherein that death is the expected outcome.
1: Yeah. That is more than, so so that part of it is kind of is kind of wonky. Like that,
0: I, I don't, somewhere there is a, a um an ethics board at whatever organization is doing this, who has been left out of the loop, or maybe just there
1: isn't an ethics board. <laughs> well, yeah,
0: yeah. But I'm I live in I live in the world of academia, and there's always an ethics board, yeah. even if I'm just interviewing someone about a play they watched. Uh, okay. Seriously, so you have to fill a paperwork for that. It's annoying.
1: Which, which you know, and and still, you know, I grant, I grant what you're saying, and and how the way that George Saunders has constructed the scenario, it's, it's kind of that is part of the process is to is to weed out um, or is to verify that the drug does what it it's supposed to do by having these sorts of uh, life death choices. Uh, presented to, to the subject, but I think, yes. you know, obviously extrapolating, it could be done otherwise, you know, there's there certainly a the main I th- I way to could. test drugs
0: like this. I, I think it could, and, and I agree with that, um, and I, I agree there's other ways to test the, the verisimilitude of verabulence, verbabulence, I don't remember how you say it, verilux. <laughs> there's various ways to test the verisimilitude of the various drugs that they're pumping into your spinal cord.
1: That's a tongue twister if there ever was one. Yeah,
0: um, and I and I think, and I think it may have been a bit of a disservice on George Saunders's part to make it that cut and dry.
1: Yeah, but you know we are talking the New Yorker here. It's uh, this is sort of like uh, a cut above what you would normally get in in a, a run of the mill publication, but
0: it's not quite academic quality. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it still has to be exactly. <laughs> New Yorker is going to have some sort of literary standards, yeah. And and literary standards are generally lower than academic standards, but
2: in but, some
1: cases, I I would have to say that uh, that Neil Stevenson's literary standards are very academic.
2: <laughs> well,
0: that's not literary. Neil Stevenson's not a good writer. <laughs> are we are we going to have this argument now? I, I I'll have it. I've enjoyed his books. <laughs> Cryptonomicon was a really interesting book. So it was um, the one set on the Not Earth, um, Anathem. Yeah. I liked both of those books. I also liked Snow Crash. I liked Snow Crash a lot better because in those books, he was hiding his work. Yeah. Um, somewhere along the, uh, along the way, Neil Stevenson forgot about Show, Don't Tell. Mm-hmm.
1: No, it's um, I, I'm more than halfway through the Baroque cycle now, and uh, I have to say it, it's it, it's almost hilarious sometimes the way he writes. Like literally, in, in one in one uh, chapter, there's you know he goes on for for probably half an hour that there, those two characters are in a, in a carriage ride through England, and they finally end up uh, in London, and a bomb goes off like like literally one of the their like luggage Something cart explodes. explodes and the and the first the first thing like when the guy gets up and somebody comes over to him there's like a paragraph of dialogue that the that the other guy says to him like you know as much as i want to acknowledge the you know uh, boisterousness of whatever just happened blah 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 like three sentences not like, are you okay? Let's let's get no, to save. A somebody. bomb went off. It's
0: it's. <laughs> <laughs> let's pretend something rational happened and people scream. Exactly. It's
1: it's so it's almost comical. Just how how much he feels that he needs to write, um, and how how much they need to describe everything that just happened. So have you, have you
0: perchance, read Kryptonomicon yet? <laughs> I haven't. I'm trying. You That's know, I'm, okay. I'm getting through um, the Baroque and-
1: cycle before I read Kryptonomicon.
0: Fair enough, <laughs> although that's the backwards way to do it. But yeah. um, in Cryptonomicon, and this is only a mild spoiler, um, you're, you're getting to a description, you get to a description of some sort of, you know, Neil Stephenson sort of description of some sort of event and the proper way to do it. And about halfway through, you realize he's describing the proper way to eat Cap'n Crunch, the <laughs> breakfast cereal. <laughs> I'm not kidding, and and at this point it's kind of funny because he's kind of you know, in in some way he's sort of mocking himself and that he does these extremely things, but then you also realize he's kind of serious. Yeah, he thinks there's a right way to eat Captain Crunch cereal. This is and and it's it's stuff like this
1: that happens when you're completely isolated from autonomous. Yeah, completely <laughs> autonomous, not interacting with other human beings terribly often, like. Yeah, uh, and i like you know, an
0: editor.
1: Or an editor, it, and it's and some sometimes it's great stuff. Other times it's just like Neil, you need to get out more. <laughs> you need a you need a girlfriend or something.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> just, and and this is a problem that that a lot of authors have is they'll get very popular, and they will gain editorial control. Yeah, they say my book's going to sell no matter what. I can do whatever I want. Case in point, Stephen King. Mm. Um I really like Stephen King. I've read a lot of his stuff. But there, his his novels have gotten successively longer over the course of time. Like he, he re-released the stand with, you know, hundreds of new pages of, of stuff that had been cut out of the original version.
1: Yeah, I think you've you,
0: you've mentioned this
1: before. <laughs> yeah. And uh hey it was cut for a reason. Yeah. I you know, Anyways, back back to George Saunders. <laughs> sure. So, and this also gets at um, you know one thing we've not even touched on here is, is sort of the philosophy of mind aspect. All of this, the the whole premise of the story, actually assumes that it, it assumes identity theory. It assumes mind is brain. Um, you know, yes. almost almost to the point of not even not even touching on the issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, granted, I mean that's that's the that is the perspective of um, most psychologists these days and and uh i've I've honestly of most scientists is that you know the mind is is matter there's there's not some soul that it's connected to through uh through the pineal gland as descartes (laughs) claimed um
0: (laughs) the pineal gland is for
1: (laughs) yes yes it's like the uh it's the black box of the brain pretty much. Mm. And and I mean, seriously, that's what Descartes did. It was like the, the one part of the brain that nobody really understood what it did. And he was like, yep, that's, that's it. That's right there. That's where the, that's where the soul's connected. That's the, that's the anchor. <laughs> uh, then we yeah. discovered otherwise, but there, you know, <laughs> there's a, there's a pretty co- there's pretty much a consensus out there that um, the mind or what we perceive as the mind, what we construct to be the mind is simply a consequence of the, uh, the, the, the latest buzzword is connectome uh, I've been listening to more TED talks recently and uh, this uh, I wish I could remember names of people who bring these things up but he, uh, this one guy I'll probably find his name out later basically puts forward that uh, the new identity theory should not be I am my brain but I am my connectome which is more specifically the the, the uh, the structure of my brain is my identity. So the, the structure of, of synapses, the way that, that my synapses are connected, is uh, my my identity. I am that. I am my connectome. I kind of agree with that. Because it's, you know, the brain is dynamic. The brain changes. Uh, people's personality changes. And I think that's, that you know, we change with our brain. Because we are our brain. We are that, that yeah. set of connections. Not at any given moment, you know, obviously it's a, it's a continuous, it's a four-dimensional uh, entity, Whee! and that, that leaves, uh, that means I, I am, I am not, uh, I am not, you know, the instantaneous series of connections, but I, I am that uh, continuous, uh, the history of the connections, yeah, history of the connections, because the connectome changes through time, so I change the time. Yeah. But I, I think it's a good idea, and and that that falls in line with with kind of uh, how Saunders is presenting it in this piece. Is well, chemicals mm-hmm. can change that uh, the function
0: of what the connector.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, well, and, and it, that it can be changed back, and you you don't lose that memory. It's not wrong. Right. It's just different now.
1: So I you know I agree with him in that aspect, but I think it's. Uh, I don't know if it was it was his intention really to argue for or against that that style. That's just sort of the I,
0: I that's don't the think way that he sets up story. the rules of his story. <laughs> I think a big part of the story. Well, and and I could be wrong, but I'm I I would like to think that the goal of an author is to write a good story first. Yeah. And you know, let these other things become a part of it, and especially if they're necessary for the story, be important. But you know, maybe he just really wanted to push that particular agenda about drugs, uh-huh. changing our brain, and science is bad.
1: i don't I don't know if science is bad is the message. He may just no, be I, saying like this kind of science is bad. Yeah. Well, no, we could ask him. He's got a website. You know, it would be great if we could get him on the
0: show. <laughs> His website is Saunders dot saunders, com
1: Saunders three times. Yes. <laughs>
0: I gotta go to this Which now.
1: amuses me. is it is it I've, two S's each time? Yes. Okay.
0: I've just I've just discovered this. I haven't looked at it at all Andres, Andres, Andres. <laughs> Well I was looking him up on Wikipedia and like that linked to his website there huh. on the sidebar. I'm like, well, that's an interesting website.
2: And it and
1: it's uh three exclamation marks too.
0: <laughs> Not in the URL though. Right,
1: right. That's funny, I huh. I have to read through this. Oh, they apparently uh, he was on the Colbert report
0: Yeah, and uh, looks like Letterman as well. Yeah, I would love to see the his interview. Yeah. we'll, we'll probably link to time. that in the show notes. Um,
1: so do we want? Do you have any other uh, other closing thoughts on this, Kevin? I kind of wanted to get to uh, some form spring questions.
0: Um, One thing I want to say, just since we're on The New Yorker, um, and you'll have to link to it as well, but uh, go to themonkeysyouordered.com. Okay. This is, um, I don't, uh, you you might be vaguely aware of the idea of adding different captions to New Yorker cartoons.
2: Uh,
0: There was one for a while uh, where if you just replace the caption with Christ, what an asshole, it works for every single New Yorker cartoon ever made. Um, for a while, there was the Kanye West New Yorker um, uh-huh. caption, where they would put a Kanye West tweet under a New Yorker cartoon for hilarity. That was invented by Paul and Storm at paulandstorm dot com. And anyway, this is the newest one, the dot com, which where in which they try to, as literally as possible, describe what is happening in these various New Yorkers cartoons. And Monkeys I think who what? absolutely the monkeys you ordered i can literally just send you a link hold yeah, on yeah just just chat room it to me um, the monkeys you ordered uh. <laughs> um, and and honestly this is the funniest new york remix i've seen if only because I don't know why. I have no idea why. It shouldn't <laughs> okay. be as funny as I think they are. Yeah. Literal
1: New Yorker captions.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Gary likes to sleep in a cradle. Yeah. Mummy's sex uh, is there's unsatisfying. There's a caption
0: contest on right now. <laughs> uh, uh, if you can get one after The Whale, that is is one of my favorites, and then the one after that as well. Yeah
2: is this conference room one,
0: one of the fish is oh
1: <laughs> with with yeah objection
0: <laughs> all, i mean and and it's it's very straightforward for The old joke is that there is no joke but they're absolutely hilarious yes
1: <laughs> huge okay we'll we'll link to this in the show notes definitely. yeah um, so
0: we, since we're talking New Yorker and pretentiousness and yeah, you know, we like might as that. well put it. In. So
1: uh, we have four unanswered questions uh, in the in the uh, bad philosophy forum spring queue yeah, at the moment. Did you, wanna, did you want to? Did you want to talk any more about any of that we've uh, already answered?
0: Um, I don't even remember. Now let them out.
1: speak for themselves.
0: Generally, I'm pretty happy with the answers I give. <laughs> you know, whatever we say is oh, oh, oh. up in the air. Uh, so uh, let's see here. I liked that someone was asking us about how much we actually try and promote the show.
1: Did Did you already answer that one? No, you did. Oh, I did. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, which was, you know, fair point. Mm-hmm. Um, I got. I think this one kind of fits in nicely with what we're uh, what we've been discussing today. In the future, do you think humans will destroy themselves through war and conflict etc or do you think we'll become extinct through natural causes? I think it'll be a combination of the two. Like there's there's going to be some sort of a uh, either an epidemic or a uh, a very large scale conflict that kills off a large portion of, of the the human population. And then the rest of us will die off because everybody will have forgotten how to live
0: without microwaves and
2: Twitter. I
0: think it'll be exactly like the plot of Battlefield Earth. The <laughs> movie, not the book. You know, I have the uh,
1: I have the distinct fortune of having never seen Battlefield Earth. Could you please summarize that for us, Kevin?
0: I don't know. I just know it... Takes place in the year three thousand, and humanity is almost extinct. I was actually trying to watch it today with the rift tracks, but the version on Netflix has been edited, and so the rift tracks does not sync up with the movie properly, and it really made me unhappy.
2: Huh. Okay. I know
0: aliens conquer Earth and use us as slaves and kill most of us. Oh but yeah, aliens. The humans fight back. Yeah. The humans fight back. Um. And. I know, if, uh, Hubbard Scientology. <laughs> I,
1: I know if Kiki were here, her answer would uh, would most definitely be yes and it would be as the result of a Zombocalypse.
0: Yeah, but she always uses that.
1: Oh of course. Well it's in her head a lot. For some reason. Yeah. So uh yeah, we'll we'll put that answered in uh, on episode eighty two. Yeah. Um Let's see. Oh, and this this one. I could be wrong, but I think the fellow or lady who asked why was pulling a pop culture philosophy, asking why out of context. Which, I I don't know why I didn't just answer as we have on the website, but... <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, and we've, we've had... That's not the first time somebody's asked us why on the forum spring, either, if I recall right. correctly. Right. I think we've delved into some of popular culture's view of philosophy on this episode. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think we have. You know, you want to see pop culture's view of philosophy? Read the New Yorker. So, uh, well, Kevin, I, I think it's safe yeah. for us to, to end a little bit earlier on this one, um, That's okay. considering it's starting to get really loud in here, and I'm sure people can hear that on the
0: audio. Um, Did you ever um, put together that weekly why from the end of that episode that we had a while ago?
1: Oh, yeah, the Groupon one. I I
0: highlighted it, but I haven't put it out. I, I'll probably post that
1: okay. uh, sometime soon here.
0: Because I answered somewhere on Forum Spring that somebody had asked. For. There's one coming. A weekly walk. Two episodes since then. Okay. So I've
1: been uh, I've been slowly reorganizing everything uh, based on a, a, a better folder structure <laughs> as I've transferred stuff over from uh, from my old computer to the MacBook Air. Okay. But it's uh, been a slow process. So fair enough. i <laughs> you will know, get there eventually. If
0: you do most of the work. I just show up.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so. Well, good episode. Um, you can you can find the uh, the piece that we've been discussing this episode, of course, once again on the website under episode eighty two, and uh, you can also ask us more questions that we do as as you can see answer on the show occasionally at formspring.me/slash bad philosophy. Uh, Kevin, where can folks find you on the interwebs these days? Still Twitter. Uh huh.
2: Sorry, well, I just
0: had a cracker. Yeah, I was expecting it to take longer.
1: No. You can go ahead and plug yourself this time, Kevin.
0: Wow, that's all right. Let me finish eating this salty cracker in my mouth. Today. No, no, it's um, all right.
1: You've, uh, you've missed your chance. So uh, formspring.me slash philosophy, twitter.com slash kevson, twitter.com slash badphilosophy. Thank you all for listening. Uh, hope that uh, whatever way you choose to control your own mind is working out for you. There may be something better coming right around the corner. We'll see you next time on Bad Philosophy.
2: I feel fantastic, and I never felt as good as how I do right now, except for maybe when I think about how I felt that day, when I felt the way that I do right now, 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 right now.
1: bad philosophy, episode 82, recorded on January, frick, 17th, damn it, <laughs> bad philosophy, episode 82, recorded on January, it's said... I'm gonna do this
2: later. There's too much screaming <laughs> in the background. <laughs> Alrighty. Gotta leave and get ready for my second date. With a pretty girl and a man at the pharmacy. Right in the prescription line. I take a pill for my social anxiety. I get a table and a nice bottle of Shapley. Now it's getting late and there's still no sign of her have another glass of wine all i know is the wine lasts longer when you don't gotta share it with someone all i know is the steak tastes better when i take my steak tastes better bill fantastic and I never felt as good as I would do right now except for maybe when I think about I felt that day when I felt the way that I do right now right now yeah. I feel fantastic and I never felt as good as I would do right now except for maybe when I think about I felt that day when I felt the way that I do right now right now
0: right now philosophyy.com yes I'm pregnant <laughs>